Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Christ is risen. Amen. But now what? What happens next? What do we do with the grace that God has given to us in the cross and empty tomb of His Son? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, like trying to drink out of a fire hose. But what does this grace accomplish in us? What do we do with it? To answer that question, we're going to go to Romans chapter 6, words we just heard read a few moments ago. For those of you who are visiting today, or maybe you're reconnecting with worship after these past two years. We're about a third of the way through a nine-month sermon series on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. We've been using these little uh, purple Romans journals to go through the text and take notes. Uh, And so if you would like to follow along with us in person in the coming weeks and months, feel free to grab one of these at the Ministry Center. We have a number of copies uh, for you to pick up. Uh, This is our gift to you. But if you have your Romans journal, go ahead and open up to chapter 6, chapter 6. And if you're using a pew Bible and you'd like to follow along, that's on page 942. So generally speaking, there are two spiritual illnesses that infect Christian communities. The first is a condition that we call legalism. Legalism is when we live under the rule of man-made rules. Or we think we can earn God's grace by trying hard enough. Or... We fear that we will lose the grace of God by not trying hard enough, or maybe all three at the same time. That's legalism. This sickness creates a rigid community of scared religious people who sin in secret while judging those who sin openly. Now, the prescription for legalism is an injection of Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a legalism-killing letter. As we've seen in the past weeks, God's grace annihilates our legalism. We are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not by our works, our striving, our effort. Nobody can boast. We can rest. Amen, right? Amen, right? Right. But the other spiritual illness that infects Christian communities is what we call lawlessness. This is when we abuse God's grace by using it as a license to sin. We say something to the effect of, God loves to forgive, and hey, I like to sin. This is pretty convenient. This is when we say or think to ourselves, look, you know, it doesn't really matter how I live. It doesn't matter if I pray. It doesn't matter if I read the scriptures. It doesn't matter if I have a commitment to my church. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. It doesn't matter how I speak or my words. It doesn't matter how I spend my time. I don't really need to, uh, to, to give to God my tithes and offerings. I don't have to really be committed to other Christians. I don't need to resist sin. I can just give in to it because after all, we're all sinners. Jesus died for sinners. We're all forgiven, and he was going to forgive me anyways. So why not just sin it up? Question to ponder. 
which of these two illnesses, legalism or lawlessness, do you think infects our community at Holy Cross? If you say, oh, it's legalism, it might be that you're just not in agreement with God's law, just the normal things that God says we should and shouldn't do for our good and the good of our neighbor. I think it's lawlessness, to be honest. In fact, the Lutheran theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that this is the perennial Lutheran problem. He called it cheap grace. It's grace that costs nothing because it's grace that we invent for ourselves. It's not the grace that's costly and calls us to follow Jesus. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. We're not the first ones to think this way. The Apostle Paul knows that we are tempted to misuse God's grace as a license to sin. In fact, if you preach the gospel purely, the gospel of God's pure grace, totally by grace, through faith, not by our works, it's eventually going to provoke the kind of question that we see in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. Paul told us last week in chapter 5 that where our sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more, even super abounds. In other words, when you and I have done our worst or we have been our worst, God steps in in Christ and gives us his best. That's grace. Now, this is good news. In fact, our lives depend on it. But sinners have this bad habit of using the best things in the worst way, something so good like God's grace. In fact, this may lead to the dark, demonic conclusion, well, why don't we just keep on sinning so that grace can abound? Now, look how Paul responds in chapter 6, verse 2. He says, by no means. Let's say that together. By, by no, no means. means. If you've got your Romans journal, you can circle that. By no means. This is a really unique uh, set of words that Paul uses often in Romans. More than a few times in Romans, he is making an argument and then he says, by no means. And really what Paul's trying to do is, is for us to pump the brakes on us misinterpreting what he's saying and misapplying what he's teaching. It's kind of a hard, hard phrase to translate into English. So in, in other translations, you might hear it as by no means. You might hear it as God forbid, let it not be so. If I could translate for you maybe in a visual, audible way what uh, by no means means, it would be this. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Paul says, <laughs> stop, <laughs> pump the brakes. And then Paul does this. <laughs> so you can write that in your Romans journal. Stop face palm, right? In fact, there's even a, a statue of Jesus doing this. See? Right there. <laughs> Jesus is like, that's not why I died for you guys. So you could just abuse my grace and live comfortably in sin. Uh, even Paul, look at Paul. Paul's doing the, he's getting there. He's going to do the face palm thing. Yeah. 
See, the grace of God poured out abundantly upon us in the cross and the empty tomb of his son doesn't just forgive our sins, but his grace also forms us into the image of Jesus, into his likeness. It's never complete in this life. We have to wait for the resurrection to be perfectly conformed to Jesus. In fact, the, the closer you get to God, the more you know God, the more you see your flaws. But nevertheless, God's grace is at work, making us more like Jesus. This is something that's at work in the heart of every true Christian. God's grace is so deep that it finds us where we are at our worst. But God's grace is so deep and so generous that God will not leave you where you are as you are. His grace is not a license for sin. His grace is a license to fight our sin and to walk in the freedom of a new life. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? A few days ago on Good Friday, this sanctuary was filled with the eerie sound of hammers nailing pieces of paper onto wooden crosses. Uh, On Good Friday, we took time to think about God's commandments, to think about specific sins that we have committed, sins that we are ashamed of and that eat at our consciences. We wrote these sins on pieces of paper. We confessed them and we, we, we placed them up on the cross. And afterwards, we heard words of grace spoken to us, your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name. And then we walked away, leaving our guilt behind. After uh, service on Good Friday, Pastor Tim and I took those pieces of paper and we promptly put them into a sealed trash bag. And then I had the distinct privilege of throwing those sins into the dumpster. And let me tell you, that felt really good to just throw those things in there. And as I walked away... I thought to myself, this is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us when he walked out of that tomb alive. He took our sins and our regrets and our failures and our brokenness to the dump, right? Christ is risen. He is is risen risen indeed. indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But if Christ died for us and if Christ was raised for us, would it make sense to go out into that dumpster and start digging around in the trash again? Why would we ever want to rummage around in that mess again? But often we do. And often we use God's grace as an excuse to do so. But that's not what grace does. Paul says, how can we who died to sin still live comfortably in it? How can we drift along with sin and not put up a fight against it? Now, I want you to see the way that Paul addresses this problem. First, I want you to notice what he doesn't do. Paul doesn't do what some of you might want to do. You might say, oh, this cheap grace, that's a problem. This abuse of God's grace, it's a real situation. We got to do something about this. What we might do is not what Paul does. You see, Paul doesn't go into Moses mode. He doesn't correct our deeply ingrained systemic grace abuse problem by harping on the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say, 
Don't you know that the law says you shouldn't have any other gods? And don't you know that you're supposed to keep the Sabbath day and honor it and worship God? Don't you know that you're supposed to honor your father and mother and value life and not commit adultery, etc., etc., etc.? It's not what he does. You see, when we realize that we're using God's grace as a license to sin, we might try to cure that sickness with legalism. We might say, we just need more rules. We just need to try harder. We just need to feel bad. But you know, it's not a good idea to cure one spiritual sickness with another spiritual sickness. Yes, it's true, God's law is good, and we need the commandments to convict our hearts of sin, and we need the commandments to show us that we desperately need a Savior. We need the law to lead us to the gospel, and it's a joy to walk in that law. But God's commandments have never and will never raise anybody from the dead. His commandments are good, but they cannot heal our cheap grace problem. You know what the medicine is? for abusing God's grace, more grace, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And this is why Paul corrects our chronic grace abuse problem by taking us back to the grace event that brought us into God's family, our baptisms. Look with me at verses three and four. Let's read verses three and four together. Do you not not know know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For those who use God's grace as a permission to sin, Paul asks the simple question, do you not know? In other words, he's saying, did you forget who you are, a child of God? Did you forget that you've been baptized into the resurrection of Jesus? Why is it that we find ourselves digging around in the trash of our sins? Why is it that sometimes, like dogs, we find ourselves eating our own vomit? Dogs do that. It's gross. Sometimes we do it too. Really, it's because we forget who we are. We forget that we have been baptized into Jesus' death, into his resurrection. We have died with him. We have been raised with him. For those who have been baptized and who believe in Christ, our story has been joined to the story of Jesus, our Savior, so that when he died, we died. And everything in the past. And so that when he rose, we rose. And we have a new future in front of us. We are intimately tangled up into him, connected to him. We are loved, we are secure, we are safe, and we are now called to leave the tomb behind and live a new life, just as he does. You see, our baptism into Christ makes both Good Friday and Easter not just something that happened roughly 2,000 years ago and then we can kind of hold it at arm's length. No, 
Your baptism into Christ also makes Good Friday and Easter morning something that's taking place inside of you. We greet one another on Easter by saying, once again, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. <coughs> Hallelujah. But the truth is that in our baptisms, we can say, I am risen. I am risen indeed. Hallelujah. And friends, this is how we fight our sin. We remember who we are. We remember who we belong to. When we're tempted, we remember that we have better options. We don't have to live like Christ is still dead in the tomb because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.